Pastor Chris's podcast. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey while crowds of people hailed him as king. So there must be some essential lesson for us if the Bible repeats this story all four times. You know, each of the Gospels, each of the Gospel writers, they tell the same story, but each of them has a slightly different uh, agenda or theme that they're trying to get across to their audience. And so they tell the story in some detail slightly differently, but all four of them tell this story. Uh, none of them felt that, it, 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 that they should leave it out. It was essential. It had to be in the story. And so what does that mean for us? What are, what are we supposed to get from this story? And I would suggest that one important lesson is that this story poses a question for that we have to always ask ourselves is who is our king who is our king today we're going to read the story from the gospel of John chapter 12 verses 12 through 19 the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the people cheered and Jesus and praised God. All of these people who were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, it was a it was a, an important festival, and many people flooded to Jerusalem during this time of year. So there were a lot of people there. They were all um, very spiritually focused. They were focused on their religious celebration. Um, it was a pilgrimage for them, a religious pilgrimage. And there were a lot of people, and there were a lot of expectations, because one of the great religious expectations for the Jewish people is that one day... The Messiah was going to come. God was going to send this promised Savior to them. And as they are gathered there and they're cheering Jesus and they're praising him, they're singing Hosanna. But there's more to this expression than first meets the eye. The New Living Translation that we read today uses the expression, praise God. A more traditional translation is Hosanna which is an exclamation of praise adapted from the Hebrew expression, which means save now, save now. The people of Jerusalem were cheering Jesus on 
as the man they believed would save them from their foreign Roman oppressors. People 2,000 years ago are a lot like people today, which in, in that they tend to oversimplify issues. The people of Jerusalem believed that the Roman occupiers in Jerusalem were the source of all their problems. And to be sure, it's no fun to be an occupied people. That is a problem. But they believed that if a savior could just kick out these foreign Romans out of the land, then everything would just be peachy, right? Wouldn't everything just, wouldn't that just fix all the problems? But not necessarily. You may remember we, we went through Advent. We learned a little bit about the history of Palestine before Jesus came. You may remember that Israel had a, a period of self-autonomy where they didn't have any Roman oppressors living in them. They, they, they were in charge of themselves. They, ruled, they were under self-rule. And it was not a good thing. It was a terrible, corrupt government. There were all kinds of problems and things were not peachy. You may also remember if you go back in the Old Testament that Israel was its own autonomous kingdom for, for many years. God set them up gave them a king, blessed them, and said, I'm going to take care of you. All you got to do is, is follow the law that I'm going to give you. If you do that, everything will be great. And you can represent me to the world and help all of the nations see that, that, that I am the Lord of all and welcome, trying to welcome them all back into a right relationship with me. And yet, Israel failed miserably at that task too. And there were all kinds of problems. They had evil kings. So, it didn't really work out well in the past, but for some reason, these people in Jerusalem felt like, oh, if the Savior would just come and kick out these Romans, everything would be just grand. That would fix all our problems. And so they start chanting the Old Testament prophetic phrase from Psalm 18 and Zephaniah chapter 3 that promised a Messiah from the royal line of David, the Lord himself, would disperse the armies of their enemies and at last their troubles will be over. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Hosanna, save us now, they demanded. Well, Jesus did come to save, but the armies of enemies from whom we need saving are not the Romans. And for us today, it's not necessarily who we think we need to be saved from. It's not a weak president from which we need to be saved. It's not hyperinflation from which we need to be saved. It's not even Mr. Putin from whom we need to be saved. That's not the real enemy. These are merely symptoms. If we get rid of these symptoms, but we don't address the core issues in the perverted human heart, there will always be more corruption and tyranny and death and suffering. Broken humanity always invents new ways to oppress ourselves. We've, done, we've been doing it for thousands of years. We're really good at it. Jesus found a young donkey and he rode in on it, fulfilling the prophecy that says, 
Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. The conquering hero, the one the crowds in Jerusalem thought came to conquer their enemies, came riding on a donkey. It's interesting. You notice it says, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Why would they be afraid? Why would they be afraid if the Savior was coming? Well, because sometimes, as Amy alluded to, the king would come to a city. If he was riding on a war horse, it meant he thought the city had betrayed him. And maybe he needed to come conquer that rebellious city. It could be that the enemies were not on the outside of the city, but on the inside of the city. And so that was always a concern that you would have. But if the king comes riding on a donkey, he's making a statement. Because donkeys aren't exactly fleet of foot (laughs) and good at carrying armed soldiers. So if you come riding on a donkey, it's kind of like saying, hey, I'm coming in peace. I'm not here to destroy you. So you don't have to be afraid. But there might have been some real reasons for the people in Israel to be afraid. In Jerusalem, people didn't always follow what the Lord said. They weren't necessarily, their hearts weren't necessarily right with God. Even the Jewish people, the religious leaders themselves, were in rebellion against God. So Jesus very well could have come riding on a war horse with a sword in his hand, saying, I'm coming in to you rebellious stewards who've not done what I told you to do and I'm going to destroy you. But instead, he came riding on a donkey. And this was a symbol that Jesus came to make peace, not war. It was another fulfillment of prophecy, this time from Zechariah, a prophecy from over 500 years before Jesus was even born. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus came to make peace, not war. He came to offer forgiveness and salvation to the Jews, but also to the Romans. The Messiah came to save all people from ourselves. It's not the rebellion of one nation or another nation that causes human misery. It is the rebellion of all humanity that is the culprit. It is the seditious determination in each and every one of us that says, this is my life. And I will live it however I want to. That is the problem. And so the Lord came to offer mercy and to plead for us to give up our rebellion and come back to God. He didn't ride in on a war horse, although he certainly would have been justified in doing it. But instead he plodded in on the back of a humble donkey Apparently the people of Jerusalem missed this symbolism. What a great alarm it was. Something great's about to happen. And it seems like they all realized it because they're all waving their palm branches and they're shouting hosannas. But then 
it seems like they missed it. John 12, 16 tells us that even Jesus' closest disciples missed it at the time. It says in, it says in 12, 16, the disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. Palm Sunday is a day of deep irony. It's a day of celebration. But it's a celebration by a crowd of people that don't really know what's going on. They think they know, but somehow they're missing it. It's a day when people hail Jesus as king, but only with the expectation that the king will do what they want him to do. And sadly, when their king doesn't live up to their expectations, they abandon him and they shout, crucify him. In less than one week, Jesus goes from the adored savior king to their despised and executed criminal. On Palm Sunday, they hail Jesus as king. On Good Friday, they beat him and mock him and spit on him and proclaim in John 19.15, we have no king but Caesar. Man, people are fickle. And if we're honest, we all figuratively hold to this statement in one way or another at one time or another whenever God asks us to do something that we don't want to do or not to do something that we want to do. And then somewhere in the recesses of our being, we, we are either obedient or we say we have no king but Caesar. And so in the midst of our Palm Sunday celebrations, as our kids are waving palm branches and singing Hosanna, Hosanna, I have to humbly ask you, honestly, who is your king? Because you might assume that Jesus is our king, right? I mean, we're here on Sunday morning, we're worshiping, surely Jesus is king. But is Jesus only your king if he gives you what you want? I mean, are you like the crowds of people shouting Hosanna in the streets of Jerusalem only because you expect Jesus to solve the problems you want him to solve when you want, you to, him, to, when you want him to solve them and how you want him to solve it and leave everything else alone? Thank you very much. Because if Jesus is truly king, the king, then he doesn't do just what you want him to do. It's not the way it works. Jesus' message was consistent throughout his ministry. He said, repent of your sin and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said that at the very beginning, Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. And he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's from another gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then in the third gospel, he said, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Mark 8.35 And then in John chapter 18 verse 36 he said My kingdom is not of this world. So we have to decide who will we welcome as the king of our life? Will we continue to try and be the Lord of our own life? Or will we let Jesus truly be Lord? Will we put our hopes in the things and the people of this world, the Caesars? Or will we see Jesus as our only hope? Will we welcome Jesus as King just so long as he fixes things the way we want them fixed and the things that we think need be to be fixed? Or will we surrender unconditionally to the one who is Lord of all? I pray you will welcome Jesus as King. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. And that you will give yourself to him with no reservations. He is truly worthy of it. And this is the way of Christ. If you settle for anything less than full surrender, you'll just crucify him in one way or another when it comes to it. So this Palm Sunday, I invite you to surrender. Repent. And pledge your allegiance to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who came to truly save the world. Gracious Lord, forgive us for the ways that we tried to put you in our box and make you serve our purposes, even if unconsciously. Help our praise to be honest and true. When we cry, Hosanna, save us. Let us just leave it at that. Because you are the one that knows how to save. So let us be willing to take up our cross and follow Christ with our whole heart. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.